the book of Zephaniah. No. Zephaniah chapter chapter 1. But before we do, I know there are prayer concerns. Be praying for Lynn and Danny. And uh... All right, and Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12. The prophet says, speaking uh, the word of the Lord, it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore, their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses and not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and not drink their wine. Last week, we saw that the day of, of God's wrath, the day of the Lord, was coming upon Jerusalem and Judah, and that God's wrath would come upon uh, all, even the princes and the children of the king, that God would punish those who had compromised with foreign and pagan uh, influences. He would punish those who put their faith in superstition and, and chance instead of in him and his gracious providence, that he would punish the violent and the deceitful as we uh, looked at those verses in, in chapter 1. And in this text, we see another target of his wrath, the complacent. I will punish the men who are settled in complacency. What does it mean to be complacent? All right, exactly. Yeah, content with the status quo, satisfied with the current situation, unconcerned with bringing about any, any change. And complacency also carries the idea often of being kind of smug, self-satisfied, confident of one's own ability and superiority, and just, uh, just, just satisfied with uh, the status quo. And the, the Lord says through the prophet that uh, he will... Search out Jerusalem. And so the first thing that we see in this text is that God will conduct a vigilant, diligent search. Uh, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. Uh, when the Lord comes in His wrath to Jerusalem and Judah, He will diligently search out the objects of His wrath. There will be no place to hide, and there will be no place to escape for safety. Um, God will come with lamps and search out the objects of his wrath. There's none who will escape his view. And it, it's kind of interesting, you know, that the same truth that is often a comfort to those who trust in the Lord, uh, that same truth is agonizing to those who are the objects of his wrath. Uh, you know, in, in Psalm 139, we see David find great comfort in the fact that God's light shines in the darkness. Uh, David finds great comfort. David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man who, uh, even with his faults and his flaws, was a man who believed God, who trusted God, and, uh, uh, and, and found great comfort in God's presence and in God's uh, light shining in the darkness. David says in, uh, in Psalm 139, uh, verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, 
Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the, light, the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And so David finds great comfort in the fact that God's light shines in the darkness. Uh, to those who find refuge in God, uh, light in the darkness is a great comfort. As David sees his presence and he sees his guidance even in the dark. Uh, and yet, those who are in rebellion uh, find that God's light shining in the darkness means that there is nowhere to hide. There is no way to escape. There's no suitable refuge from God and His justice. He will search out the objects of His wrath and there will be no place for them to hide, no place for them to escape. He will come and search Jerusalem with lamps. And he will punish the men who are settled in complacency. Now, uh, the image here uh, comes from winemaking, actually. Uh, a topic that none of us probably are very familiar with. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but uh, in their culture, you know, they would, they would make wine, uh, pick the grapes, squash the grapes, and the, the, the wine, the juice from the grapes was allowed to sit on the sediment of the grapes for a while. So, you know, when you pick the grapes, there's, there's holes and seeds and all these things. And they would, uh, uh, y'all remember watching I Love Lucy where they stomped on the grapes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, so there's all this stuff that's not really used in the wine. There's the juice and then there's all the things that are left over that sink to the bottom of the, of the vat. Well, for a time... The juice is allowed to sit on the lees, the L-E-E-S, the lees. Uh, and, and, and it builds color and body for the wine. But after a time, the juice is drained off of the lees, the, the things that are left, the sediment. It sinks down to the bottom and then there's a way to, to, to take the juice off so that the wine doesn't uh, thicken. Uh, becomes syrupy, too thick, and subject to mold. Uh, if it's left on the lees, the, line, the wine will coagulate and congeal. And so uh, the image here is uh, those who are, uh, are like wine that sat too long, and it's become thick, it's become useless, and it's even spoiled. You know, and we might not be familiar with, with wine, but we're familiar with coffee, you know, and if you take a cup of coffee and you pour it in the mug and you leave it for a while and then you dump out the juice and you look at the bottom of the, of the, the cup, there's stuff <laughs> that has settled to the bottom. Well, that's the picture that the, that the prophet is, uh, is, is painting here. Uh, you know, so if you have your coffee and you put it in a cup without stirring it or shaking it, parts of it will solidify and sink to the bottom of the cup. And so the image is these people can't be stirred. They can't be shaken. Uh, they refuse to get stirred up, to be shaken out of their complacency. They're settled. They're comfortable. They have a nice 
comfortable life and nothing seems to make them want to change. It doesn't really bother them. You know, the prophet has pointed out some of the things that are going on around them. It doesn't really bother them that people are involved in wrongly worshiping the Lord. Uh, they're worshiping Lord and their, the, the Lord in their self-styled ways, in ways that are comfortable and convenient to them. And instead of how God has uh, revealed and demanded that he be worshipped in the, in the law of the covenant, doesn't seem to bother them that people are worshiping the Lord in the, in the high places and the local uh, shrines instead of traveling to Jerusalem. It doesn't seem to bother them that, uh, uh, they, that they're worshiping God in their own ways instead of how God has demanded that he be worshipped. Not only that, it doesn't really bother them that people are worshiping other gods, the false pagan gods of their neighboring countries. Uh, that, that Zephaniah has talked about, you know, their syncretism that we talked about a few weeks ago. It doesn't really bother them that people are combining the worship of Yahweh with the worship of Molech and other, other gods. Uh, it doesn't really bother them that the people of God are seeking guidance from the stars instead of from the Word of God. Um, it doesn't really bother them that people are enriching themselves uh, by violence and deceit, doesn't really bother them that uh, people are getting rich by sinfully oppressing their neighbors. It doesn't really bother them that the people around them are superstitious and trusting in their actions or uh, what they can do to, to manufacture for themselves good luck. We talked about superstition last time. Uh, people are thinking about luck and chance are magically manipulating things by what they do and what they don't do instead of trusting in the Lord's providence. And so when, remember, Zephaniah is talking to the people of God and he's revealing significant sin and shortcoming among the people of God and yet the people are complacent, they're comfortable, they're settled in their action and nothing really bothers them, nothing stirs them up, they cannot be shaken. And as a result, they have become congealed and useless and spoiled. They are complacent. And God has sent His prophets to try to shake them up, to, to try to stir them out of their complacency. He's, uh, he's led through the, in the... We talked about the ministry of the kingdom of Josiah, the, the reign of Josiah, uh, where Zephaniah is preaching and... and uh, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1, remember the time of Josiah, there was a recovery of the Word of God. Uh, God led to a recovery of His Word to, to stir His people up, to shake Him up. And the king, after hearing the Word of the Lord, led a revival and led to some reforms. But there were some that were not shaken. There were some that refused to get stirred up, even from the Word of the prophet, even from the Word of the law of God. didn't seem to bother them that there was significant, serious, obvious sin in the camp. They were complacent. They were comfortable. They had their life. They had all they needed. They saw no need for change. They were settled, satisfied, and stagnant. And, uh, and so God says, I am going to search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, 
nor will he do evil. And so they believed in God. They believed God existed, but they didn't believe that he really cared about what was going on uh, around them. You know, they figured God just created and set things in motion and brought them to the land and then uh, uh, went off to do other things. Uh, God was too busy being God to care about uh, Jerusalem, to care, uh, to care what people did in Jerusalem or Judah. Uh, and they said, you know, God's not going to do good. We pretty much need to make our own way. You know, God's not going to really bless us. We've got to do our own thing. We've got to use our own initiative, trust in our own ingenuity, our own resources, our own ability, make our own plans, our own efforts. If we want to prosper, we've got to figure out how to do it on our own. We've got to do it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, with our own efforts. And, uh, and they've been able to accomplish uh, some things, and, uh, and, and they didn't really want to rock the boat. And so uh, they said, you know, God's not going to, to do good. Uh, and they also believe that God's not going to do evil or not bring them harm. Uh, they believe that God's not going to discipline them. He's not going to punish them. Um, that, he, that, that he is not really very concerned with what they're doing. He's not going to bless them. If they want to be blessed, they've got to bless themselves. He's not going to punish them. If it requires a little bit of violation of the covenant in order to prosper that's okay. God's not going to do harm. God's not going to come and discipline his people. God's not going to, uh, to do anything. He, he's not really concerned with what's going on in Jerusalem and, and Judah. And so the bottom line is they don't believe the covenant promises and curses. Uh, you remember when God gave his covenant in, uh, uh, in Deuteronomy, you know, he, there's, there's a chapter that talks about here are the, the blessings that will come with uh, 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 obedience. If you're obedient, God's going to bless the land. He's going to bless the fruit of your womb. He's going to bless the fruit of your fields. God's going to bring blessing for obedience. But if you disobey and you worship other gods or you worship gods in the way that he's forbidden, you don't walk in the covenant, then here are the curses. You know, the, there'll be famine. There'll be wars. There'll be, uh, there'll be sickness. There'll be pestilence. And so bottom line is they don't believe the word of the Lord. They say they believe in God, but they pretty much live their lives like he doesn't exist. They're practical atheists. Even though they're theists, and they say that they believe in God, they say that they serve God, they say that uh, they believe that God is uh, the creator and the sustainer, that's not how they live their lives. They live their lives as if God doesn't exist. They say they believe in God, but in their practice... They are atheists. They're self-made people, self-sufficient. God doesn't factor in their decision-making. He doesn't factor in uh, the outcomes of their life. They pretty much figure, we got to do our own thing. And, oh, by the way, we're doing a pretty good job of it, so we're comfortable, we're complacent. doesn't matter that Zephaniah is calling us to repent. They can't be stirred up. They can't be shaken. They're settled and they have coagulated and congealed and become useless. Uh, and yet, the Lord's not going to do good, nor will He do evil. You know, they'd sin. They knew that they had sinned, but God was merciful and, uh, because He didn't immediately give them what they deserved. He responded with them for mercy. Uh, 
they began to, uh, to be wooed into complacency uh, because of God's mercy. You know, they'd sinned over, over centuries, and God hadn't brought discipline. God hadn't brought wrath. God hadn't punished us. None of those covenant curses have come, and so it must be God's not going to do any evil. He's not going to do us any harm. We've been doing this for hundreds of years, and nothing's happened. God's been merciful, and so why is today going to be any different than it's been for centuries? Uh, and so God's mercy, the withholding of the judgment they deserved, helped them. Uh, you know, the way they interpreted that helped them in their complacency. They refused to be stirred up, to be shaken, even by the word of the prophet, even by the recovery of the word of God. Um, they figured he hadn't done anything so far, so there's nothing to worry about in the future. And instead of being wooed to repentance by God's mercy and kindness, they were lulled into complacency. You know, Paul tells us that God's kindness, God's mercy should motivate us to repentance. But just the opposite had happened in Jerusalem and Judah during the time of Zephaniah. They felt like they were doing just fine on their own. They ceased to long for God's blessing, and they did not fear His punishment, and so they were satisfied. They were comfortable in their sin. You know, it's true that God is merciful and long-suffering. He does not... always immediately give us exactly what we deserve every time we sin. He is merciful. But we can take the warning from Zephaniah. We must not presume on God's mercy. Uh, We must be very careful uh, not to think, just because I got away with it today, that I'm going to get away with it tomorrow, (laughs) that we're going to uh, uh, not be disciplined by God. Uh, God's kindness should motivate us to repentance and not lull us into complacency. Just because he's been merciful in the past does not mean that we ought not fear his discipline in the future. And so, uh, so they, God says, I'm going to do a diligent search. I'm going to search for those who are complacent, who are settled, who are comfortable, who are stagnant, who can't be stirred up, who can't be shaken. I'm going to search for those who disbelieve the covenant blessings and covenant promises, and I'm going to bring my discipline. And so ultimately, the complacent will be stirred. They will be shaken. Verse 13, their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards but not drink their wine. And so God says the things in which they found their satisfaction will be taken from them. The things that, that, they, that they, they sought to make them comfortable and secure will not provide the comfort and security that they want. What three things does God mention that will be taken away from them in verse 13? Their goods, their houses, and their vineyards. Um, and so what picture is painted in verse 13? Your goods, your houses are going to be desolate. Your vineyards are not going to drink the wine. What's the picture that he's painting? What's the promise he's making? Yeah. In, in fact, exile. 
you're going to be driven from the land. Your, your, uh, you know, your goods are going to be taken by an enemy army, going to become booty. Uh, their possessions are going to be plundered and be uh, spoils for the invading force. So there's going to be an invading force. Your goods are going to become their spoils. And not only that, you will be driven from your home. Your houses will be a desolation. You're going to be driven from your homes. You're going to build houses, but you're not going to live in them. You're going to be driven out of the land. Just as God said in Deuteronomy, you don't obey my covenant. When I bring you to the land and you get comfortable and secure and think by my hands I've done all those things, the land will vomit you out. And so Zephaniah is saying, you know, that an enemy army is going to come. They're going to take your possessions and drive you from your homes. And so you're not going to be there to enjoy the produce of your vineyards. You're going to be driven out. You're going to be taken into exile. Your wealth is going to be plundered. plundered. The houses you built for comfort and security are going to be empty or even worse, inhabited by your enemies. And the rich vineyards that you worked so hard to cultivate, you cleared the land, you took away the stones, you planted the vines, you pruned them and worked with them and cultivated all that. All that hard work, you're not going to be there to enjoy the fruit of your labor. All the labor of your hands will come to nothing. God is going to judge the complacent. And as I thought about this passage, I thought about the difference between being complacent and being content. Complacency, God says, I am going to punish the complacent. I'm going to punish men who are settled in their complacency. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's complacency is, is, is it can, be, can lead to laziness. And, and so contentment, Contentment is also satisfaction, right? And yet contentment is painted in the Scripture as being a godly characteristic, a godly trait. You remember over in Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, the, the letter, one, of, one of the purposes that we studied through Philippians not too long ago, um, 28 sermons on uh, the book of Philippians we had. And uh, um, we looked at the book of Philippians. You remember, Philippians, part of it was a thank you note from Paul. The, the Philippi church, the Philippian church, had sent a gift to Paul. And Paul writes the book of Philippians. One, one of the purposes of the book of Philippians is to, to say thank you for the gift. Thank you for the gift that you have sent to me. And, uh, and, and he, he kind of closes the letter with this, with this thanks, in uh, chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you certainly did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now I speak in regard to, uh, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Paul writes that he has learned the secret of contentment. Now does that mean that he has become complacent? That he's become satisfied? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, because this same Paul in this same letter says over in, uh, in uh, chapter 3, this same Paul says um, it, over in verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already, or chapter 3, verse 12, already been perfected, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as, as many as you are mature have this mind. And if anything... And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. And so, the St. Paul who says, I've learned the secret of being being content. I know how to have plenty. I know how to have nothing. And yet I press on. I press on. I forget what's behind and I reach forward to the goal. And so... Being content does not mean just to sit back and be satisfied with the way things are. Being content does not mean that we don't set goals, that we don't work hard, that we don't dream big. Contentment does not mean that we can lay back and do nothing because we're satisfied with what what we have. And so... uh, Complacency, you get the idea, you know, of, like Miss Jeannie said, of, of being lazy. You know, I'm, 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 I'm doing fine, got what I need, I'm comfortable, I can just sit back and enjoy what my hands have gathered for me. But the picture that Paul thinks, thinks of contentment is Paul is working hard, He is denying himself. He is pressing forward. He's not just sitting back, but he is driving toward the finish line. But ultimately, he trusts the Lord for the results. So he's working hard. He's trying to do do work. And ultimately, if the work results in him having... Much, he's content with that. And if his hard work results in him being beaten and put in prison, as he is in the book of Philippians, chained to a Roman soldier, Paul's content with that too. He's satisfied with that. And it's not that he's just sitting back, not trying to do, but he is working hard and he's content with the result that God gives. Paul pressed forward. And sometimes the result was plenty. Other times the result was 
deprivation. Amen. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. He's looking for God's glory, and whatever circumstance that results for him is irrelevant. He's content with that. Uh, he is giving himself away for God's glory instead of uh, being comfortable in the things that he has acquired. Exactly. And so contentment is an understanding that I am who God has called me, I have what God has given me. I'm where God has placed me. I am who I am. I have what I have. I am where I am. And whatever, whatever I am, whatever I have, is sufficient for me to do what God has called me to do right here, right now. And I need to be satisfied and content with that. Um, and, and, you know, as that's the, the context of the often misquoted verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even if I have nothing, I can be content with that. Uh, God has given me what I need to do what He has called me to do in the place where He has put me right now, and I need to be satisfied and content with that and use what God has given me to do the task that He's put before me, no matter what it costs me or no matter what it gains for me. That's irrelevant. The point is I'm giving myself away in the service of the Lord, and I can do that through God's strength. The strength that God has given me, that Christ has given me, I can do everything that He's called me to do. And so contentment and complacency are not the same thing. Complacency is satisfaction with the way things are, so I feel no need to work, no need to change, no need to grow, no need to go forward. I can just... Uh, Sit uh, and enjoy all the things that my hands have acquired. No need to change, no need to grow, no need to be shaken or stirred up or poured out. I just sit on my lees. And so, uh, so complacency is satisfaction with the way things are, no need to work, but contentment is satisfaction, but also a commitment to work, to press forward, to strive for growth and achievement and accomplishment, trusting God with the results. Contentment is working hard to control everything that I control and to trust God with everything else, with what He can control, and to, to believe that whatever He provides is sufficient. And complacency is the satisfaction with the way things are, self-made, self-sufficient, even lazy, like wine, Sitting too long, complacency makes you thick and syrupy and totally useless. And so how do we guard against complacency? Amen. I, I need to be shaken from time to time. I need to be stirred up. You know, instead of just sitting and satisfied when I hear the preaching of the Word of God, you know, Zephaniah comes and, and, and calls the nation to repentance. 
Uh, that should stir us. The proclamation of God's Word and God's holy standard and how far we show we fall short of God's holy standard should stir us up, should shake us up and motivate us to, to press forward, to recognize that we have not attained, that we have not achieved. We need to forget what's behind. Don't be satisfied with what's behind, but press forward toward the goal. You know, that, that God has called us to be holy, and we have never attained the standard of holiness that is possible for us. And so we need to, to be stirred up as we come and hear the preaching of the Word of God. You know, don't just listen to learn, but come to be stirred up and shaken out of your complacency and motivated to press on, to press forward, to never be content with where you are, but recognize there's always growth. There's always a need to go forward. There's always a need. Uh, for more and so we need to uh, to be stirred up and one of the ways that we can be stirred up is in Hebrews chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10 why is it so important that we gather that we meet together that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together well the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the matter of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. So part of the ministry of the local church is to make sure that none of us get complacent, but we all stay stirred up. <laughs> that we all get stirred up and shaken up, stirred up to love and good works. And so we meet together for the purpose of keeping each other stirred up and motivated to continue to grow, to go forward, to strive, to forget what's behind, not to be satisfied with what's behind, not to be complacent, but to, to, to use the resources God has given us to grow in maturity and to grow in holiness, to grow in Christ-likeness. And so one of the reasons it's important for us to meet together is so that we keep each other stirred up to good works and we don't allow each other to become complacent and satisfied and still. Uh, and so, uh, so we meet together to stir one another up to love and good works and, and, and just remind ourselves that God has been so gracious to us you know, as we, read the, as we read the next verses in Zephaniah, we're going to read about God's wrath. And, and we, we meet together to remind ourselves that God has been so gracious to us that He sent Jesus to take the wrath that we deserve. And then He raised Jesus from the dead and He calls us to serve a risen, living Savior. He tells us, you know, He accepts us not based upon our performance, but, our, but on His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And we can't allow that kindness to make us lazy, to make us complacent. We can't just say, well, because Jesus paid it all, there's nothing for me to do. We can't allow that kindness to make us lazy, but that kindness should motivate us to repentance and action. And we need to be stirred up to know who we are in Christ, to know what we have in Christ, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, and we 
need to be content that we are who we are, we have what we have, we are where we are because of God's providence and He has given us everything we need to be everything He needs us to be right here, right now. And, uh, and we need to strive to do, uh, to be about doing what He's called us to do right here, right now. Trusting God and being content with the results. Uh, and so as we consider God searching for the complacent, should be the prayer of our heart uh, for God to enable us to be content, but not complacent. To be satisfied with Him and not self-satisfied. Uh, to be pressing forward and not comfortable with the status quo. All right. Questions about those two verses that we talked about tonight. All right, well, if not, let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word, Lord, and we are thankful that you have uh, sent your son Jesus to take the wrath that we all deserve. And Lord, that you've raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. You've called us to yourself. You've made us alive, made us new in Christ Jesus and given us everything that we need to be your people in this place for such a time as and so, Lord, we pray that we would be motivated to press forward, to press on. And, Lord, help us to be the people that you've called and equipped us to be in Monroe County right now, 2020. Lord, help us to press forward and to grow in holiness and godliness and, and with a testimony that's going to be pure and attractive to those around us. Lord, help us to press forward and to always seek to be growing in our faith and in our holiness and our maturity. Help us not be satisfied and complacent, and let not complacency and comfort lull us into laziness. But Lord, help us to press on, press forward. We pray that you would help us to be faithful in that, and that you would be pleased to make it fruitful, and that you would add to our, our number. Lord, we pray for your grace and for your strength and for your wisdom as we seek to be your people. Lord, help us to be content but not complacent. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.